Thank you, Jamin. Thank you, team, for leading us and drawing our affections to Christ. And I pray that our affections have been stirred as we now turn to our Lord in His Word. And so I invite you to open up your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 7. Proverbs chapter 7, and follow along with me as I read. My son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teachings as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. And call insight your intimate friend to keep you from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. For at the window of my house I have looked out through my lattice, and I have seen among the simple, I have perceived among the youths, a young man lacking sense, passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house, in the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night and darkness. And behold, the woman meets him, dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. She is loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home, now in the street, now in the market. And at every corner she lies and waits. She seizes him and kisses him. And with bold face she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices. And today I've paid my vows. So now I've come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly, and I have found you. I have spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us make our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. For my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him. At full moon, he will come home. With, with much seduction or seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. All at once he follows her, as an ox goes to the slaughter, or as a stag is caught fast, till an arrow pierces its liver, as a bird rushes into a snare. He does not know that it will cost him his life. And now, O sons, listen to me, and be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths, for many a victim she has laid low. And all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. Summer in between my senior year of high school and my freshman year of college, I had the opportunity to take a two-week tour of Europe. It was a fascinating trip. Um, there's so much rich history um, the beautiful architecture and the unique culture were certainly impactful to me, even as a clueless 18-year-old who did not appreciate hardly any of it. Uh, it was just, in my mind, an opportunity to go hang out with my friends in another country without my parents. That sounded like a great trip. I'll go wherever you will take me. But looking back, it, it was a remarkable time, and hopefully... Maybe whenever we get the kids grown and out of the house, maybe Sarah and I can afford to go again. 
Well, this was no less true uh, with our first destination on this trip. Our, our first stay was in Amsterdam. We had three days and three nights in Amsterdam, and it is a, a beautiful city. If you've ever visited it or you've watched maybe the Travel Channel, um, this city is built on historical canals um, that, that really, they, they're like circles that line the whole streets and, and as you get to the center of the heart of the city. And so you can see people taking little boats. You might think of Venice in that kind of way of people riding and, and streaming around. I remember um, what was maybe most impactful to me as an 18-year-old. There's literally this old historic ship that looks like a pirate ship um, sitting in the bay in the dock. I mean, just the architecture was just astounding. Um, it's the home of the Anne Frank House. Um, you might not know that. Um, and so if you go to Amsterdam, you can go and, and tour the house. And uh, I think they've changed this since I've been there because I talked to somebody recently who went. But we used to be able to actually go back behind the bookshelf into the room, but I think they have it closed off now. There's numerous historical museums, including the Van Gogh Museum. But what Amsterdam is most known for, in fact, its greatest or largest tourist attraction is known as the red light district. This district is the designated in the city, designated area of the city for legalized prostitution and other sex business. There locals and tourists are introduced to hundreds upon hundreds of prostitutes soliciting their services along with rampant availability of cocaine, marijuana, and heroin. Marijuana is like the least of their concerns. While most cities and countries don't have, maybe it is regulated and promoted, and hey, this is our largest tourist attraction, many cities nevertheless have places that, ha that are like this at some level. We might think of here in, this, in the states of, of Las Vegas, which I was looking, and I don't know all the, the rules and, and regulations, but looking at the world, most countries do not uh, legalize prostitution, but there are, are certain countries, Amsterdam being one, that not only legalizes it, but it's government-funded, government-regulated, well, that Nevada has similar laws as well. And we see it on the commercials, don't we? This is a city that is built on sin. It's called Sin City, for goodness sakes, right? And what's their slogan? What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Well, if we have wisdom, we know that that is a lie. That is not true. Yet, uh, a city calls to people to come and live an illicit lifestyle. And the truth is, the threat of sexual sin and, mor and, 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 and immorality is found everywhere, isn't it? You don't have to just go to Amsterdam. You don't have to go to Vegas. Even here in Jeffersonville, if you know the right places to go, you can find it. And the temptations of sexual sin do not leave anyone in this room immune. This includes our students. I was recently talking with uh, Joshua, our, our minister to students and children, and he was just sharing with me uh, conversations with, with some of the students and the temptations that they face every day when they go to school. I won't even repeat them. They were things that would, would cause your jaw to drop. This isn't something that, that, that is just kind of lurking in the darkness. It is actually pursuing and, and looking for opportunity. I think of our young adults and our, our college students. 
The college campuses are, are, are often rated by their, uh, um, I guess, what level of a party school they are. And that's particularly of our, our state-funded schools, the big universities, University of Louisville, University of Kentucky, University of Indiana. And I remember, and not, you know, it's not too long ago when I was on the college campus, in, in that first week leading up, all the festivities on the surface looked like, hey, it's, it's just to come and invite you to meet friends. But when you go to those places, what happens is not much different than what I saw in Amsterdam. Our campuses are breeding grounds for illicit sex. And while these things may be concentrated in particular places or, or a particular stage of life, the lure enters our home through television, through the computer, our tablets, on our phones. There are even apps that you can download to your phone that will sync up with your location and like a red light district, you can signal your availability and see who else is signaling in your vicinity so that you can then pursue it. And so this morning, God's word in Proverbs 7 is going to instruct us. Better yet, it is going to warn us. Warn us about the dangers of sexual sin. In particular, Jesus wants to make wisdom our intimate friend, as we will see, so that we may be protected from what I'm calling the forbidden lover, to protect us, to keep us, to guard us, so that we do not wander down those alleys, that we do not wander down those streets. This passage is applicable to all of us. And you might be saying, well, you know, I, I, I'm not tempted in those ways and praise god if that is you that you are not lured by sexual temptation it isn't a, a a strong desire for you but do not take um that strength of yours and and and, and let it become prideful because um you can too fall into that sin but i specifically want to talk to those of you who are caught in the snare of sexual sin size of this congregation I know, and I'm not saying I have names, I'm, I'm just, I know that it is going on. Some of you are addicted to your computer, your phone. Maybe there's a, a person who's not your spouse that you are secretly seeing. And this passage speaks to you. And it is a warning to you. But it is also a grace to you. A grace, and so that you do not wander down that path, so that you are not like the one, like the ox that is led to the slaughter. It is to protect you and keep you. And so for all of us, I want to call us to cherish God's wisdom in Proverbs this morning, which will protect us from the snare of the forbidden lover and keep us from the chambers of death, as we see in verse 27. And to do so, we're going to give particular attention to, to chapter 7, but I'm going to have us kind of bounce around from uh, portions of chapter 5 and chapter 6 and try to get a, a bigger picture of what Solomon is trying to teach us, what our Lord is trying to teach us through his inspired word. And in so doing, as we reference Proverbs, we're going to see that wisdom is given to us. And that if we make wisdom our intimate friend... We're going to see what does it mean to say to wisdom, verse 4, you are my sister. It's more than meets the eye. If we obtain wisdom, wisdom will keep us, number one, and these are my points, 
from the seduction of the forbidden lover. Number two, it'll keep us from the dangers of the forbidden lover. And number three, it'll keep us from the way of the forbidden lover. So the seduction of the forbidden lover, the dangers of the forbidden lover, and the way of the forbidden lover. Let's look at that first one, the seduction of the forbidden lover. Solomon writes to warn us not to be naive, to be senseless. And this is why I said to you, maybe you aren't uh, particularly wrapped up and entangled in this temptation right now. Well, don't be naive that it could not come your way, that you could not be tempted this week. Solomon doesn't want us to be ignorant of the temptations which will come your way. And what he's going to tell his son, and by extension to all of us, is is said here in verse 5. It's intended to keep us from the forbidden woman, he calls her. I'm calling it the the forbidden lover. And why why is that? Who, Who is this forbidden woman that he is wanting to protect his sons from? Well, we need to look at the context here. He's writing to his son, so this person is a woman. And so, for ladies here, this would be the forbidden man. This would be the forbidden man. And while a true description of whom Solomon's sons will likely encounter, how this temptation will present itself to them, the forbidden woman here is a personification of sexual sin. This is kind of like Jesus' parables. And he says, let me tell you about a man. And Solomon is doing this. Maybe he has looked out his window and he has seen senseless men walking and wandering down the streets. But the things that he can see in the conversations, this is, this is probably a, a, a dramatic effect of showing, hey, here's how this will likely go. So this person may not be a woman. It could also be a man. So this is why I've broadened the name of the tempter to the forbidden lover because this person is, here you go, anyone who's not your spouse. Anyone. And and that means whether you're married or you're not. Anyone who is not your spouse. So sexual sin, if you're married, is adultery. Sexual sin, if you're not married, is fornication. So this is that temptation just given a face in this, in this passage. So this could be, as, as Solomon warns uh, in verse 10, this could be a, a prostitute. But it also could be your neighbor. It also could be your classmate. It could also be your coworker. Whoever is the face of this temptation, whoever it is, Solomon wants to give us wisdom so that we may resist his or her seduction. Or so that, get this, so that you and I don't become the forbidden lover. You could see yourself in this story on the flip side of it. Are you pursuing it? Are you luring? Are you telling that person, hey, it's all right, I will make it all okay. We don't want to go down that path either. And so he gives several descriptions which reveal the forbidden lover's character. And this is wisdom to us. And the purpose is so that when you see this character, you see these descriptions, when these temptations come your way, you are not naive, you are not simple, you're not lacking sense, and you can see it for what it really is. It will become a turnoff to you, not an enticement to you. 
And so he starts with the description in verse 10. And we're, and we're not going to work uh, chronologically so much this morning, this morning uh, through this text. We're going to be bouncing around. So, so I'm going to try to give you the references. And look in verse 10. He, he begins to describe this forbidden lover as one dressed to provoke, verse 10. And behold, the woman meets him dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. Maybe you've watched the show Cops. Maybe you've seen movies where, where, where a person is a prostitute. You, you get that image of what kind of dress he's referring to. This is the, the woman who dresses in such a way to show off her features that will lure the eyes of an unsuspecting male. This is the woman who wears provocative clothing. She, she's, as you could say, dressed to kill. But it's also the person or the man who presents themselves in any such way to draw attention. I was trying to think about this because I don't know the temptations of, of ladies like I know the temptation of a man. But I, but I think of sports figures and just, you know what, they're not really dressed provocatively. Think of football players, uh, um, basketball players, they're, they're in sweats, they're, they're in jumpsuits. That, that doesn't seem like, ooh, that's great, but it's their figure, it's their, it's their position, it's what they can offer, fame, riches, security. Maybe it's, it's the male who is seducing women by flaunting his supposed wealth, driving up in, in that car and, and showing, hey, this is what I could provide for you. Dresses the part. And here it is, the internal perception. This person is calculated. Everything they are giving off about themselves is trying to get you hook, line, and sinker and bring you in. And it starts with the eyes. Ooh, I like what I see. He goes on in verses 11 and 12 and, and describes the forbidden lover's character as one who wanders from the home. Look in verses 11 and 12. She is loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home. Now on the street, now on the market, and at every corner she lies in wait. This is the man or woman who never stays at home with their family. That's who this is. But is always out with the guys. Honey, it's a guy's night. Well, isn't every night guy's night? Hey, get off my back. I'm going out. Or, husband, it's ladies' night. We're going out. I'm going out with my girls, and this is all you do. This isn't saying that you don't have guys' nights, don't have girls' nights. But you want to party all the time. You want it to be just like it was in high school. You want it to be just like it was in college. Every night, oh, I don't have anything. There's a day off. I'm going out. I'm getting away. And you take every advantage to find out where the fun is. This is the guy who always works late, always has an excuse not to come home. They just want to be out and about. They want to be where the fun is. Well, that kind of lifestyle is where you will find the forbidden lover. It's where you will maybe even become the forbidden lover. Not only are they one who wanders from home, doesn't want to be in the home and the security and, and, and live life um, as God designed it. One, one couple in our, our Sunday school class mentioned it. Doesn't want to live the boring life in the kind of joking sense there. You know, we come home. We have dinner. 
We spend time with our family. We work. We, yes, we have joys. Yes, we, we enjoy one another. But the point is we enjoy one another. I'm not always looking out, looking for fun elsewhere. It'll lead you into trouble. Character of the forbidden lover is a manipulator. Look in verses 13 and 14. She seizes him and kisses him, and with bold face she says to him, now get this, I had to offer sacrifices, and today I have paid my vowels. This is a manipulation. Everything really is a facade, a manipulation seeking to calculate in how to persuade someone for their ends. I want you to notice the aggression. She seizes him and kisses. This is, hey, she is, she is lured in. She's the bait, or he's the bait, however that may come. And it's very aggressive. Hey, this is what we're going to do. Here, come with me. As we read in Daniel chapter, or I mean in Genesis chapter 39, lie with me. Grabs him by the garment, lies with me. For women, this usually comes through seduction. As Solomon will say, the smooth speech, that can happen with men as well. But this is more of a uh, a smooth um, seduction and manipulation. Men, when they are aggressive, it often turns into rape. And it can have various forms, being pressuring, 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 or it could be dropping something in a drink and it could be something far more violent. The forbidden lover is a manipulator. And they're aggressive because they don't really care about the other person. They're aggressive because they want what they want. And they're going to do whatever it takes to get it. And so verse 21, with much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. So what does this smooth talk do? What are the things that you're going to come across? Maybe what are the things that will be going on internally in your mind with your conscience pricking you that is seeking to lure you away? Well, we see this in verse 14. We we are kind of, I had to offer sacrifices. Now, commentators are split on, you know, are these pagan sacrifices? This is the strange woman. This is the foreign woman. Or is this a, an Israelite who's wandered away, but is, hey, you know, I'm a worshiper. Uh, I think at the very least, this is a person who is who's trying to present themselves as religious. And for you and me, that's important, right? Hey, I, in some sense, I, I say I'm a follower of Christ. To be lured away, I'm, it's not going to be able to say, hey, this is the path to sin and abandoning Christ. It's not going to ever say that on the door. The lure is, hey, I love the Lord too. Hey, I I worship too. You know what? Our church doesn't have a problem with that. You know what? This book that I read says that, you know what? Most evangelical pastors, they're wrong about that. And in fact, the the church has been wrong for many years. And and now we're we're saying that this is okay. God just wants you to, to love. I worship. You could come to our church and it won't be a problem. Seductive speech begins to, to tear down the mind. It, it paints sin as something harmless. And you and I know, and when we are tempted, is that not what we try to rationalize? This isn't going to be that bad, right? 
Verse 15, the seduction looks like this. It seeks to promise genuine love without the commitment. So now I have come out to meet you. To seek you eagerly, and I have found you. Come on, girl, you're the only one for me. You know, that kind of talk. You know, I don't, I would never say that to anybody else. I love you. You know, I came out, I was praying, I offered sacrifice. Lord, bring me the one, and and he brought you to me. You can see how that goes. You're the only one. And yet the fool, the naive, begins to believe, oh yeah, that's right, wow, that sounds good. You, you mean that? You'd do that for me? You'd take me out to dinner? You would get that hotel room for me? Yeah, only for you. And begins with the smooth talk saying whatever you want to hear to lure you in. And the irony of it is, is this person's life is, is a wanderer from home, is always in the marketplace, in the street, has the reputation. That person gets around. But yet somehow, you're the one, yet we'll believe it. Other way they seek to seduce, they set your, they set your mind to be numb. They inject it with a numbing feature to woo your emotions. Look in verses 16 and 18 doesn't give you much time to think. I, I've spread my couch with coverings, colored linens with Egyptian linen. I've perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, come. This is going to be the perfect night. I've gotten the room all set up in the galt house. It overlooks the river. This is going to be a splendid night. We have dinner laid out. I've done this all for you. And we have nowhere to go. Begins to describe luxuries here. Just the perfect setting. The environment is right. This is a candlelight. And you can come and we can have our fill till morning. No worries. This is going to be fabulous. But what is the one thing that when temptation comes... You begin to think about that makes you worried. It gives you maybe a second guess whether I should do this. Am I going to get caught, right? Is this going to be safe? What are the consequences? And the seducer, the manipulator, the forbidden lover doesn't care what happens to you. They just want you to stop thinking about that. And that's exactly what happens here. Uh, she says, hey, and don't worry, my husband's not at home. In fact, you don't have to worry about him coming back. Stop. Stop asking so many questions. He's gone on a long business journey. He won't be back till the full moon. So even knowing the date, and, and, and presumably knowing, hey, we're not close to that. So you don't have to worry. He's got a full sum of money. He's not going to be back. He doesn't need anything. This is all going to be okay. And the irony is, is that in this picture, in this story, Solomon's watching it. Someone sees. Someone sees. Doesn't address all those things. Who, who saw you walk into that home? Who saw you walk out that next morning? What about your family? What about your father, young man? What about your daddy? What about your spouse? They're home. 
See, that's what the seduction looks like. It begins to turn your mind off and allure you in. But Jesus doesn't want us to be seduced. He wants us to be alert, aware when temptation comes. This is what this whole uh, proverb is written for, to wake us up. Because the point is, the guy is just wandering through life, just living off his emotions, not having any filter. Wants us to be aware when the temptation comes. And so we're given here the dangers of the forbidden lover. The dangers. We see it in verse 22. All at once uh, he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter, as a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver, as a bird rushes into a snare. He does not know that it will cost him his life. Here's the first danger. Death. This sin... Sexual immorality will lead to death. You might be saying, well, what ways? Well, go back to chapter 6. Look in verse 26. For the price of a prostitute is only a loaf of bread, meaning you can get one brother cheap, right? But a married woman hunts down a precious life. Ever seen the show Wives with Knives? That's what he's talking about. Yeah, it might only cost you a loaf of bread. Only, it might cost you just the price of going to the supermarket and picking up some groceries. But did you know you might have a jealous wife who will stab you in the back? Proverbs is very practical. You got another partner involved. It goes on. You don't have to just worry about your spouse. What about their spouse? Verse 34 of chapter 6. For jealousy makes a man furious, and he will not spare when he takes revenge. He will accept no compensation. He will refuse, though you multiply gifts. Have you ever thought about that side? Oh, don't worry, my husband's not home. Yeah, but he'll find out. I've told you I watch Dateline Murder Mysteries. That is the scenario every time. Or just watch the news. Sometimes you don't know the full story, but often this is because of sexual sin being rampant, jealousy. And I remember in high school, most fights. The most violence that would occur would be over fighting over a girl or a guy. Just you continue living like that. You start that. That's the way you're living now. You bring it into college and you live that life as an adult. You will die. You might remember the the story about Steve McNair, the quarterback of the Tennessee Titans. Um, He was in an illicit affair with a woman who was not his wife. One night he, he left his kids, as, as the story tells us, that he, he tucked his kids into bed and he went to go visit a woman who was not his wife. And after he went to sleep, she shot him three times. And then she shot herself. And the reason they found out later is because not only did he have her on the side, but he had another woman. And I remember I heard this story when I was in college or, uh, or in seminary, I can't remember. And I remember saying Proverbs 7. 
That's exactly what Proverbs says would happen. Well, not everybody's going to die because of an affair, though, right? I mean, there are people who, quote-unquote, get away with it. Or sexual morality. They get away. They, don't, they might not reap the full consequences of their actions. But everyone who lives a life of immorality and does not turn from it, does not repent of this sin, will die and face the judgment of God. You see this in verse 26 of chapter 7. For many a victim she has laid low, and all her slain are a mighty throng. The picture here is of in her house she has a stack of dead bodies. Kind of morbid, right? Well, surely she doesn't have a stack of dead bodies in her house. She'd be arrested, right? But the picture is this is the way to death. And he goes on, her house is the way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. This is the path to destruction. This is the path to hell. This is what this is. David prays, dear Lord, do not abandon my soul to Sheol. You go down the way of the forbidden lover, you are on the path to abandonment to Sheol. That's what is going on here. But it's not just death that is the consequences, that is the danger there's far more. There is the, the loss of honor and your reputation. Look, look in chapter 5, verse 14. Actually, go, go to chapter 8, or, verse five, or verses 8 and 9, and we'll, we'll jump down to 14 here in a second. This is talking about the forbidden lover, and he says, Keep your way far from her, chapter 5, verse 8, and do not go near the door of her house. Why? lest you give your honor to others. You will give up your name, your reputation, and your years to the merciless. You give yourself, there is no mercy to this life. Because you have now begun living a lie, and now you're going to have to continue to uh, live in a lie, and people in that world are merciless. goes on to verse 14. I am at the brink of utter ruin and in the assembled congregation. You know what he's talking about here? This is the person who's lost honor and they have shame when they come to church. When it comes out and your sin is uncovered, your reputation, and, you, and, you, and you're going to come and you're going to have to face the church. He says in verse 13, I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to instructions, and so I'm on the brink of utter ruin. Depression comes, heartache comes, guilt comes, and it's magnified when everybody knows. It's lasting shame. Your name will be remembered with your sin. Goes on, it's not only just your namesake, but the destruction of your body and your life. Look in verse 11 of chapter 5. And at the end of your life, you groan when your flesh and your body are consumed. Just think of the threat of just STDs. Or just the wear of a rough life. Maybe you've talked to someone who's been abused, who's lived that life, and you can just see it in their eyes, you can see it on, the, on, on their skin. They have lived a very difficult life. It should cause us great mercy and compassion. 
leads to financial ruin. Oh, how many men, maybe women too, have emptied their bank accounts seeking to win someone who's not their spouse. Happens all the time. I heard about the story just this month that that very thing happened. Just seeking to cover it up. Or those who are blackmailed for their use of money. Hey, yeah, I won't tell anybody. Just pay up. You give yourself to that lifestyle, you're going to have to cover your tracks. What about just the lost and the nasty divorce? I listen to the commercials, you probably have, of the divorce lawyers. And what are they, they, they're luring men in, saying, don't let her take everything you've got. Well, you know what, there's a better plan. Don't be on the path of a forbidden lover. But yeah, that's the consequences. And whole businesses are built on it. Look in in chapter 29, verse 3. I know this isn't in the scope of the passages I told you. Proverbs 29, verse 3. This is exactly what the Lord wants us to know. He who loves wisdom makes his father glad but a companion of prostitutes squanders his wealth. Heard the stories maybe of those who, who build these online relationships. They think that person's real on the other side and they've been funneling money and it's all built on this scheme of, hey, if you get me enough money, I can get my visas, I can do all this, I gotta get this, hey, I need my plane tickets, and, they, and then they say, all right, I bought the ticket, I'll meet you at the airport, and they're standing there alone. And now their pockets are empty. They didn't even get a, a return on their investment. It's far worse for that person, but it's the same sin, same desire, pursuing the forbidden lover. And it'll take you for all you have. And then there's just the loss of family, right? The loss of your family. Chapter 5 again. Verses 15 through 17. Drink water from your own cistern. Flowing water from your own well. This is, I'm not going to go too much into this, but there is, um, this is Song of Solomon type stuff. Saying, be faithful to your own wife. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. The picture here is of a man who has numerous sexual partners. Why would you have your streams all throughout the streets? And maybe even possibly uh, uh, of having children out of wedlock all throughout the city. Why would you do that? That will bring great harm and destruction. But notice, verse 18, But rather let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her satisfy you. And the point is here, you go out that path, you will lose out on the blessing that God designed in the home. And that will have massive consequences for everyone in your house. It will destroy your family. And so here's what Solomon wants us to understand. There is a way that seems right to a man, but it leads to his ruin. 
And everyone thinks that they've got their secret sin under control until it destroys them. This is what what he's telling you. You don't have to go figure that lesson out on your own. If you'll just heed my words, you will have your life under control. But if you think you can have that secret sin close to you, and you think that you can can play with fire without getting burned, you are mistaken, my friend. So the Proverbs give us protection because it's honest with us about the practical consequences of sin. I've just listed to you several different ways and possibilities and consequences that you will feel if you pursue this forbidden lover in whatever the form, whether it's a person or whether it's through the computer screen. This is the path that you will be on. Proverbs wants to keep us from that. Jesus wants to keep us from that. And so Proverbs, now this leads us to our last point, Proverbs will also lead us away from the way of the forbidden lover so that we do not experience such pain. The the path of the forbidden lover is crooked. It's the path of the fool. It leads to death. But wisdom protects us from this way by placing us on the path of life. Look in in verse 25 of chapter 7. He says here, Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. Proverbs warns us of being passive here. Notice there, your heart, let not your heart turn aside. This is the person who is not alert. Do not stray. How do you stray? You're just kind of walking. Oh, that's cool. And you just keep walking. It's the person who's just kind of going with the flow. He's not actively thinking. And Proverbs is here to put us on the offense so that we act, so that we protect. So those of you who might say, hey, I'm not experiencing that temptation now. Well, good. Don't let your heart be led astray. Do not go down those paths. Do not wander. Because you who are unsusceptible or or suspecting, you, you might be just the one who is lured in. And so what does this look like? How do we ensure that this does not happen? Well, we've heard this one over and over again, but I'll say it one more time and probably many more sermons. Internalize God's Word, right? That's how he begins this chapter. My son, keep my words. But I love what he says in chapter 6, verses 20 through 24. Look at this. My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. So how does this look? Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. And what's the result? When you walk, they will lead you. You don't want to be straying off the path. Internalize God's Word. It'll lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. You won't end up like Steve McNair, dead in your sleep. They'll watch over you. Number three, when you awake, they will talk with you. How's the word going to talk with you unless you internalize it? When the tempter comes, the forbidden lover comes, the scripture talks to you and keeps you and protects you. And so the word of God keeps you from being ignorant, and that's what he doesn't want for his son, and and the Lord doesn't want for us. And that's exactly what he sees. He sees an ignorant boy in verses 6 through 7 of chapter 7. 
I've seen among the simple, this is verse 7, I've perceived among the youth a man lacking sense. You don't want to be ignorant. And moms and dads, this is why read Proverbs to your kids. Read them. This is for them. This is why mom and dad, you need to be talking and having these conversations because somebody else will. And you can have them. You can use Solomon's words. You can use the Lord's inspired scripture and Proverbs to lay out a path so that they don't have to go learn that lesson. Because notice, verse 23, he does not know that it will cost him his life. This is the person who does not have the word in their mind, in their heart, who's just looking for pleasure, This isn't an innocent person. They're just ignorant. They don't know the things of the Lord. And they do not realize that these pleasures, this lifestyle will kill them. God's word will protect us from that. Proverbs also protects us by calling us to flee the forbidden lover. Chapter 5, verse 8. Keep your way far from her. And do not go near the door of her house. In chapter 7, the the illustration is the the one who goes out late at night, who walks down her street corner, who's wandering in her area, is not actively fleeing. He's not. Chapter 6, verse 25, this also means do not ponder her or him in your mind. Look in verse 25 of chapter 6. Do not desire her beauty in your heart and do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. What is this talking about? This is the battle of the mind. Part of fleeing is also guarding what you put in. What are the movies you're watching? What are the books? What are the fantasies that you begin to mull over when you lay your head down at night? You begin thinking, and when I say fantasy, I'm not thinking of anything erotic, although that includes that. I'm just talking about, you know what, I really like him. And my husband, I really don't like right now. And you begin to think, what if? And you begin playing, right there, you've lost the battle. Because that is the beginning path to sin, which leads to death. Do you let it entertain your mind? No, you must entertain in your mind the things of the Lord. And this is why the the other element is that we must fear the Lord. Look in verses 21 through 23 of chapter 5. This is humbling. For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked are ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. What is going on here? Your ways are before the Lord. So what if they say their husband or their wife isn't at home? So what if they could secure you of all your worries? They could satisfy them. We aren't going to get caught what the fool says is there is no god but the wise one the one who listens to sound instruction says no my ways are ever before the lord his eyes are always upon me and why does he fall into sin because he lacks discipline gets more specific in chapter 22 verse 14 
Listen to this. This will maybe quicken your spirit. 22 verse 14. The mouth of the forbidden woman is a deep pit, and he with whom the Lord is angry will fall into it. Could be judgment. You begin to entertain the path of the forbidden lover. You reject the Lord's sound counsel, his discipline of you as he gives you over to it. And you reap the consequences. But if you fear the Lord, if you respect him, you love him, that will keep you. Very practically, and we're almost finished here, pursue your own spouse. Pursue your own spouse. We've already looked at that in chapter 5. Verse 18, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. A lovely deer, a graceful doe, let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? And then he goes in, a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord. Pursue your own wife. Begin practicing love toward your spouse. Invest in this relationship. Date your spouse. One of my, my professors in, in, in seminary used to say, hey guys, is your wife your girlfriend? And we'd be like, what are you talking about? Yeah, is your wife your girlfriend? And the point that he was trying to say is you worked hard when she wasn't your wife. You often get lazy when you've been with them. But are you actively pursuing her because you know, man, she's a catch and I better get her while I can. And you're investing in that relationship. And so maybe right now your marriage is on the rocks because neither of you are pursuing one another. And so husband, start pursuing your wife. Start dating her. And and, and be patient. You're hard-headed. You're not that great of a catch. So be patient. She's with you. She's still in the house. But maybe you have built up so much resistance because you've been too much having guy time. You've been cozying up with your computer too much. Been watching the sports and and, and doing all the other things but pursuing her. Wake up. Wives, be patient with your husband. If he starts trying to apply the sermon this morning or this afternoon, begins wanting to have conversation with you, wants to take you out, Don't let your heart be hardened to him. This is what 1 Corinthians 7 warns of those who have forsaken intimacy for so long and the devil comes in and tempts them, destroys a marriage. What about you single people? I don't have enough time to unpack all these things. I'm assuming here you don't have the gift of singleness. You have the desire for a spouse. Here's my question. Are you actively looking? Guys, you do realize she's not going to just knock on your door, right? You're going to have to ask her out. You're going to have to have a plan. You have to say, hey, let, let's go out on a date. Ladies, put yourself in places where godly men can find you. This isn't start acting like the forbidden woman. But are you serving in the church? Are you, are, you, are, 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 you, are you putting yourself where godly men whom you would want to marry might be found? 
Don't make it complicated either. I think some of us, especially in the seminary context, are making marriage like super complicated. Like it's not that hard. It really isn't. Let me give you four really quick litmus tests if you need to marry somebody. One, have you found someone of the opposite sex? (laughs) Check. Okay, good. Next one, are you both Christians? Yep, okay. Check. This one's tough. Do you like each other? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Check. All right. All right. What do the godliest people in your life think? What does your church think? What your pastors think? What your your parents think? Oh, they love them. They love her. They're good. Okay, check. We're good. So what do you need to do? Get married, okay? That's all you do. You get married. That's, That's what you do. And you figure it out the rest of the way, right? That's what marriage is. You get married, two sinners, and you work it out for a lifetime. Because guess what? You won't cover everything in your premarital. You'll cover some principles, and we'll send you on your way, all right? And you read Proverbs, and you'll find the path of life. What about our students, you high schoolers, middle schoolers? Should you be pursuing a wife? Some of you are like, whoa, that's some strange application. I'm not going to tell you when you can date. I'll leave that between you and your parents, but this is my suggestion. You start dating when you can finish the deal. Can you even support a family right now? So why would you start that engine up? If you can't follow through with this, it's only going to lead to some severe frustration on multiple levels, or you will fall into sin. That's your two options. But if you can say, you know what, I can get married. Make that case to your mom and dad. I'm 14, I can do it. (laughs) So, you want me to drive you on your honeymoon? Yep. (laughs) But ultimately here, here's the wisdom, and, and we'll close with this, and as you can tell, we won't have a closing song. Ultimately, Solomon says, marry wisdom. I said there was something here at meets that goes beyond what you may first see here. In verse 4 of chapter 7, say to wisdom, you are my sister. You might be like, whoa, that's getting crazy. When Song of Solomon, sister is a term of endearment. To my bride, my sister. You might call your wife, hey baby, you're not thinking of her as an infant. It's a term of endearment. No matter if you're single, your marriage is struggling, ultimately we find satisfaction and wisdom, and wisdom has a name, and his name is Jesus. And he is our groom, as Scripture tells us, and we are his bride, and he will keep us. And maybe you have found yourself in the snare of sexual immorality. Maybe as you were going through these Proverbs, you're saying, that was me, that is me, that is me, and, and I want to give you hope as we leave. There's a groom, there's a king who wants you, and he truly has sought you, and you are his, and he will wash you clean, and he will wipe away every tear, and he will make you whole, and he wants to set you up on the path of life so that you may find favor with God and man, and ultimately experience the pleasures of fellowship and relationship in the new heavens and the new earth. 
this is the offer that wisdom makes to us. So no matter if you have gone down that path or you are just tempted, the good news is, is you're here, you're alive, and you are hearing wisdom call out to you. Come, and you may find life, and you may find rest. And that is the good news of the gospel. Let us pray and we'll be dismissed. Dear Lord, I pray that we would heed your call. Lord, you have told us, you've been clear, you have given to us straight. Lord, may we cherish wisdom. May we make you our intimate friend. And a friend who will not steer us wrong, who will not stab us in the back, who will not leave us uh, and will not forsake us, who will not empty our bank account, who will not lead us to death, who will not break up our family, but no, Lord, you will cause us to flourish. And Lord, I pray that we would be a place where people who come in who have been beaten and battered by the forbidden lover may find life in the wonderful Savior. Lord, that's our prayer. And may we go out from this place with that good news today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all, and you are dismissed.